0: Log Talk Radio. From Life in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you Make things better. Hey there, and welcome to today's pre-Thanksgiving, Parenting Your Challenging Child. Um, I hope you've got nice plans for Thanksgiving Um, and that you're prepared for all of the unsolved problems that could come up while your behaviorally challenging child is off from school and you are too um, holidays can be interesting no i'm not going to do a holiday program today that's um but holidays can be rough just because of the um excitement and the uh, novelty um, and the fact that people are together might want to start thinking about the unsolved problems that are going to accompany Thanksgiving now. If you live in Canada, you've already had to worry about that because I think your Thanksgiving day is now past. So I'm talking to our American listeners now. What unsolved problems are going to come up for Thanksgiving? Food, family hanging out together, boredom, you know, it's kind of like a four-day weekend. Some parents of challenging kids feel like two days is overkill. Um, It also makes them wonder, how come my kid is worse at home than at school because they're different environments and they place different demands on your child and the prototypical presentation of many challenging kids is that they look worse at home than they do at school but that's because they're different it's also possible that your behaviorally challenging child is holding it together at school but can't maintain that 24 hours a day, and so um you get it worse at home than the folks at school do. I think you know as bad as this sounds, I think you'd prefer it that way. It's better than having things go badly in both environments, sort of double double barreled difficulty but um and some kids do have unsolved problems at home, but at school, but they don't but they uh don't express those until they get home. They sort of decompensate they unravel uh, probably still better than having him lose it at school, but well, better in one sense, not in the other sense, in the other sense, the folks at school are perhaps confident that they've got things perfectly under control because your child looks fine there. He's not fine there. He's got unsolved problems at school, too. It's just that uh, you don't know about it till he gets home. That's why I don't call them triggers anymore. Triggers suggests that the uh, unsolved, that, that the event setting in motion, a challenging episode, is occurring immediately before the challenging episode. And those of you who have kids who have unsolved problems at school and aren't really getting upset about them until they get home. Now you know why we wouldn't want to use the word triggers anymore. We'd want to use the word unsolved problems. Anyways, I hope that you're ready for Thanksgiving and you've still got three days, uh, two days, sorry, to do some proactive Plan B on the unsolved problems that you're anticipating could come up during Thanksgiving. Maybe that bratty cousin's coming over, and your child and that bratty cousin of his. Well, I know you like to use the word bratty. I'm being sarcastic here. Maybe uh, your child has difficulty getting along with that cousin who's he's going to have to be with for four hours on Thanksgiving. Now, there's an unsolved problem we could anticipate. And if you're thinking Thanksgiving is unique, then just think about last Thanksgiving or think about uh, Easter or think about Christmas. Think about the last birthday party. Think about any family get-together and what unsolved problems arose and whether they are likely to arise again in 2 days you got 2 days to do some proactive plan b i'd i'd get on it otherwise you won't be quite as thankful as you might like to be on uh thanksgiving think about how thankful you'll be if thanksgiving goes reasonably well because you solved the problems that you anticipated could pop up before Thanksgiving got here at all. Are you traveling for Thanksgiving? Well, now that's that's not... Now you've got a completely different animal. Uh, that's a long car trip. Any unsolved problems going to pop up on the long car trip? Some of the kids I've worked with uh, had troubles in airports, troubles on airplanes, troubles spending a lot of time in a car... Troubles with cousins. Troubles with the food. Troubles just with hanging out while mom and dad are distracted by all the food. They've got to prepare to feed everybody during the Thanksgiving feast. The good news about unsolved problems is that they're predictable. Not 100% predictable, but way up there predictable. I like to say 99.9% predictable. That might be a... Slight uh, exaggeration, but they're pretty predictable. Um, Good. Let's anticipate them ahead of time, because come Thanksgiving Day, you're going to be distracted. We want to see if we can get these problems solved before they pop up. As I always say, if I got a lot of speeding tickets and I got upset about the speeding tickets, then problem solving could focus on helping me not get upset about speeding tickets. But if we really want to solve the problem, we'd need to find a way to help me not speed and get tickets in the first place. Uh, An example I heard this morning, a child who's getting upset when his or her sibling bothers him or her, We could focus on helping the child get less upset or we could focus on the real unsolved problem, which is his or her brother bothering him or her. We don't want to solve problems based on what are you going to do if you don't like the food during Thanksgiving? What are you going to do if Aunt Margaret insists that you eat her sweet potatoes. We that's coming. We know it. What are we gonna do so that unsolved problem doesn't arise in the first place? That's how you wanna be solving problems. So, you know, um holidays are great. Being together with the family's great, the food's great, um Football games are great if you're into that. Getting together, being together, great. But not always so great if you have a child with behavioral challenges and that we don't want that to put a damper on things. But we can anticipate what the unsolved problems are going to be before they pop up and try to get them solved so they don't pop up. That's the goal. Not what we're going to do if they pop up. But how we're going to solve them, so they don't. So uh, the call-in number, if you're interested, you got it already, but I'll repeat it: three four seven nine nine four two nine eight one. Often before holidays, um, the phones are slow. Luckily, we have some uh, email lined up. People who've been. Uh, Waiting for answers to their questions for quite some time, so uh in the absence of phone calls and having now um said all I really need to say about Thanksgiving, don't worry, my advice is going to be exactly the same for the next set of holidays coming up um, having now uh covered that let's uh let's jump in here uh so here's an email. I have a beautiful five-year-old daughter with epilepsy and likely undiagnosed problems, uh, ADHD, uh, SPD, alphabet soup. I'm not so interested in exploring those as in finding solutions. One of those, um, her, her medical condition means she really needs an afternoon nap each day, but the school won't accommodate half days. problem is her father he's from a family and culture that knows nothing but plan a he has accused me of spoiling his child told me that she needs more discipline and when the two of them go head to head it's like war i printed your one page description of collaborative problem solving sent him to the link of the lives in the balance and tried to talk with him but he's pretty plan a with me too Is it possible to use Plan B in my home without confusing my daughter further? Do I just treat transitions from her father's to our home as one of the problems to solve? All right. So I am inferring from your email that you and her father, who you are not referring to as your husband, live in separate homes, I hope that's a safe inference, and beyond that, you're describing a rather unpleasant but not atypical scenario and um so to tell you the truth it's i often don't find it varies that much it varies in some meaningful ways, but not that much uh from the, what if you had his your daughter's plan a father? Still in your home, he was still your husband. Um, you know, then there is somewhat greater pressure to work together, and that's what people tell you you're supposed to do. Almost everybody will tell you you got to do that, work together. It get, does get a little bit more complicated when your co-parent uh, is outside of your home. Um... I would still argue that there is every bit as much, if not more, need to work together, although there are parents who don't object to each other's parenting style, who are no longer married and really don't communicate very much at all and manage. They communicate about the logistics when you're picking them up. What are you all doing? He's got this homework to do this weekend, Logistics, but not plan A versus plan B. The hard part is you're also saying that he's pretty plan A with you, too. And I know you've tried to talk to him. I I might, if I'm inferring your strategy accurately, and that is to put resources about collaborative problem solving in front of him, He doesn't seem to be responding to that uh, as well as we might like. I wonder what would happen if you made a list of unsolved problems moving between the two homes uh, could be an unsolved problem, but I might go with some more benign ones in the beginning, perhaps unsolved problems that I know this is going to be very hard to believe. You'd like to collaborate with who I'm assuming is your ex-husband, her father, on, and have a discussion about the importance of making sure that you're on the same page about what you're working on and how to go about working on it. Now you're not going through the front door on uh, trying to change her father's way of viewing things. I'd say you're going through the back door. You're trying to collaborate. You're not hitting them over the head with, I think you're doing it wrong. Here's how I think you ought to do it. I don't... Uh, just a little bit that you've told me about him, and I you know um, I'm not sure he's gonna respond to that. I might go through the back door. I'm always okay going through the back door so long as I get into the house, don't really care what door I go in gotta go through the door that somebody lets me in back door, side door, chimney if i gotta, got to get in. And um, I'm wondering if he might, I could be completely wrong about that, but I'm wondering if he might be receptive to hearing about a problem that you're trying to work on and that you'd like to, him and you to try to you'd like his input you you could tell him that the way he does it you're having trouble doing and that you've been trying a different way and you've seen that different way and maybe you've done this already you've seen that different way you've seen her respond to it um I'm just wondering if there's a better way to get the discussion going. Sometimes the direct approach isn't the best approach for some people, and they kind of let you know that straight up. You know, just as an example, there are some loaded political topics on which um, I find that Well, this is sort of what's going on in our country right now at a a larger level. Um, Is anybody surprised that our politicians, our special group that was uh, comprised of Democrats and Republicans, is now blaming each other for the fact that those talks haven't gone anywhere? Um, That's just emblematic of just about every problem our politicians right now are trying to solve with each other. They're paralyzed. They can't do anything. It's it's too much about elections and power and posturing to get anything done. Um, that's not collaborative problem solving. That's got to be my way and I'll hold out till the next election till I get my way. I think that um some but but I've had political discussions with people um on topics well, let's take one hot one as an example uh such as abortion. And um I find that if we go at that in a polarized way, the discussion deteriorates rapidly and ends soon after that. But if we look for common ground, the discussion not only takes place, but we find out that we weren't anywhere nearly as far apart as as politicians made us out to be. Where plan A and plan B come together is on the fact that there's a problem to solve, and there's common ground that uh, your daughter's father isn't going to argue with. So you're starting with common ground, and that might be the back door through which the discussion about how to solve those problems can take place because he doesn't, based on your description, and you might be biased, but based on your description, doesn't sound like he's going to let you in through the front door. If that was only one door to go through, you'd be in trouble, but there might be multiple doors you can go through. I'd pick a different door. Uh, An emailer is... uh, One of our listeners is emailing, please remind parents that their holiday is going to look different than other people's holidays. It's okay not to hang out with everyone all the time. Sometimes families split their time together. One parent takes one or two kids while the other parent, friend, or family member takes the challenging child for a different activity. Great point to our listener and emailer. You are on a different playing field when you have a challenging kid, and that is an exhausting playing field, and it's a playing field that can sometimes cause parents to feel resentful. I just want to have one normal day, one normal day where I don't have to worry about the fact that I have a challenging child. I can't... uh, no one can get you off the hook on the fact that you have a challenging child. You have one. Now how are we going to make Thanksgiving as good as it can be? Even though you have a behaviorally challenging child. What's that day going to look like? It it, it may not it may not be your vision of what thanksgiving was supposed to look like it may not be what thanksgiving has looked like that you have happy memories of but let's start some new happy memories i think the harder we try to make holidays look like what we envisioned they would but can't because we have a behaviorally challenging child the worse they look the further away from our vision they move. Time for a new vision. And I understand There, there is some resentment there that it can't look the way you wanted it to. Maybe Thanksgiving isn't going to look the way you wanted it to because of financial reasons. Maybe Thanksgiving isn't going to look the way you wanted it to because you've lost a loved one and the loved one is not going to be at Thanksgiving this year. I don't know if your vision was going to be realized. can look, taking into account for and planning for the fact that you have a behaviorally challenging child. Can we solve some problems ahead of time? Can we make it look as good as it can look? Shall we go to another uh, email? Here's one. Do you think that what is often diagnosed as reactive attachment disorder... Is actually just another example of what you describe with explosive children in general. That kids who were neglected or cared for in institutions, say a Russian orphanage during the first two years of life, simply did not or weren't given the chance to develop the skills and flexibility to handle certain situations, frustrations, requests. Or is attachment disorder actually in really a different animal? We are heartbroken over ongoing difficulties our daughter continues to experience, mostly at home, due to what seems to be attachment issues. But I'm wondering if it's just exactly what you are describing in your research on explosive kids, regardless of their diagnosis. It would be helpful for me, emotionally, to believe that her difficult behaviors that include rejecting primarily moms' nurturing She perceives it as forcing my will on her, even when it is to her benefit, and even when it would usually be looked at as comforting and soothing to most people. Could it have more to do with her lack of skill set, rather than some inherent, broken parent-child relationship? We love each other fiercely, but the explosions are wreaking havoc in our home. She completed our family through adoption. She was shuffled around in Russia and actually in the u s had a first adoption that was disrupted. She explodes and then says it's just because I don't have any sense in my head at those particular times. She just turned nine. Her explosive behavior really only started when she entered into a structured school setting in kindergarten, but she only explodes at home often over homework. But is an angel at school and is well-behaved and liked at her friend's houses, too. Plus, she has lots of friends. She is destructive to property and has threatened her own safety at home before. She says, I don't want to talk about it, and threatens to get really angry and destructive when we try to do Plan B. Thank you for your email. And um, here's my uh, take on a reactive attachment disorder. Uh, when you look at the diagnostic criteria for reactive attachment disorder, there are many different ways there are many different things that reactive attachment disorder could look like um, the theme that ties together reactive attachment disorder. And what I just did here is, um, uh, here's the diagnostic criteria for reactive attachment disorder. Markedly disturbed and developmentally inappropriate social relatedness in most contexts, beginning before age five, as evidenced by... Persistent failure to initiate or respond in a developmentally appropriate fashion to most social interactions as manifested by excessively inhibited hypervigilant or highly ambivalent or and contradictory responses. For example, the child may respond to caregivers with a mixture of approach, avoidance, and resistance to comforting or may exhibit frozen watchfulness. Number two... Diffuse attachments as manifested by indiscriminate sociability with marked inability to exhibit appropriate selective attachments. For example, excessive familiarity with relative strangers or lack of selectivity in choice of attachment figures. Now, I'm not hearing anything about number two, I am hearing a little bit about number one, but I'm also hearing that it's not number one, because number one refers to most social interactions, and I'm hearing that your daughter has friends, does well at school, an angel, well-liked at her friend's houses. Hmm. I'm not completely clear if we were to be technical about it, that now you, you are mentioning one thing that sounds like reactive attachment disorder. Um she rejects her mom's nurturing. Now I'd have to know what that means, but that could be in the territory, but I'm I'm not even completely clear that because this depends how technical you want to be Uh, It's not most social interactions. It's some social interactions. Here's the second part of reactive attachment disorder. Um, And by the way, uh, a rule out for reactive attachment disorder, at least in the DSM-4 TR, is that it's not accounted for by something like mental retardation or pervasive developmental disorder like Asperger's disorder, and I'm I'm not hearing anything along those lines. Here's the big one: pathogenic care, as evidenced by at least one of the following: number one: persistent disregard of the child's basic emotional needs for comfort, stimulation and affection; persistent disregard of the child's basic physical needs; repeated changes of primary caregiver that prevented formation of stable attachments. Um, here's the overarching theme of reactive attachment disorder Uh, the, the care had to be grossly pathological and the child is now failing to relate socially either by exhibiting markedly inhibited behavior or by indiscriminate social behavior, for example, attaching themselves to just about anybody, including relative strangers. To tell you the truth, I'm not sure that your daughter actually meets technically the diagnostic criteria for reactive attachment disorder. And the behaviors that can be associated with reactive attachment disorder, sort of the associated features, look like lots of other disorders. I don't view reactive attachment disorder as being any different than I view any other um, disorder, but I'm not a very disorder-oriented guy in the first place, so reactive attachment disorder I don't view differently than anything else. Um, your, Your daughter is lacking some crucial skills, and you and your daughter have some unsolved problems together uh, you, you've given me good information about uh, what she looks like on the spectrum of looking bad she's destructive to property threatened her own safety the, what i'm convinced of is that apparently her early care was not ideal i get that part course, we can't do that much about her early care now. She's uh, nine years old, I believe you said. Well, I don't actually believe that I saw that you said that anywhere, so maybe I'm making that up. Yes, you did say that. She just turned nine. Now that she's nine, I would view her through the prism of lagging skills. And unsolved problems. I mean, what she's saying is that it's because I just don't have any sense in my head at those particular times. Okay? Those particular times are your unsolved problems. Let's start solving them using plan B. Interesting. Her explosive behavior really only started once she entered into a structured school setting in kindergarten. But she often explodes only at home, often over homework. Well, there's an unsolved problem. And if she uh the, the big thing that I'm focused on in your message would be that specific unsolved problem I'd I'd want to hear more about that There's an unsolved problem I wouldn't be especially focused on what she's doing when she looks bad that's we wouldn't want to talk about that a lot of kids when when people have the child's behavior be the unsolved problem a lot of kids won't talk to you But I'm also curious about why she's not talking when you're trying to do Plan B. And that you might have to call in to the program to give us more information about. There's so many things that could get in the way of her talking with Plan B and saying, I don't want to talk about it, I don't want to talk about it, It is one of the most common responses to people's attempts to do Plan B with their kids. And it's not unique to kids who may have had early neglect because of the circumstances in which they found themselves early on. Lots and lots of kids say, I don't want to talk about it when we're trying to do Plan B with them. And there's so many different reasons that you might be saying that. It might be that you're Folk, you're, you're leading Plan B. You're starting off Plan B primarily with the behavior. Maybe it's that you're doing Plan B emergently rather than proactively. Um, maybe you're using Plan A, not Plan B. Th- there's maybe she isn't exactly sure what to say. Maybe. Well, there's so many possibilities for why a kid might say, I don't want to talk about it. And to tell you the truth, the ones I just named are things you could do something about. But then we certainly don't want to say, she's not saying I don't want to talk about it because she has reactive attachment disorder. That we can do nothing about. I don't know what I would do about reactive attachment disorder if a kid wasn't talking about it. She's not... Mentioning her early attachment history when she says, "Um, it's because I just don't have any sense in my head at those particular times, boy, that sounds like something most of the kids I work with would say right that's that's when we all look bad when we're having trouble looking good because we're having trouble putting sense into our heads." at those particular times but those particular times are unsolved problems you've named one homework let's finish the list under what other conditions is she getting upset what are the other unsolved problems that cause her to look like she has reactive attachment disorder what are the other unsolved problems that cause her to get upset that cause you two to disagree, those are your unsolved problems, so you know, at a purely practical level, I totally get that a child's early experiences um, have a dramatic impact on their life, and if those early experiences are not nurturing, not stimulating, not caring. How can that not have an impact? But I'm I'm being purely practical here as it relates to what are you going to work on? What's the best way to think about this? What can you do something about? What can you do nothing about? That's why at a purely practical level, I find that it's most helpful to think of things not in terms of disorder, but in terms of lagging skills and unsolved problems. And, of course, you are welcome to call into the program and give us more details, if you wish. Probably not going to be today. Today's going to be a no-call day, but you're welcome to call into the program and give us more details on what it is that you're dealing with. It sounds very hard. Of course, the goal of collaborative problem-solving is to make things better. The goal of this program is to make things better. How are we going to make things better? Hmm. Lagging skills and unsolved problems are the raw material of understanding. Lagging skills and unsolved problems are the raw material of helping. Disorders don't typically give us that information. Reactive attachment disorder tells us that those early years were not what they should have been. She's nine now. Let's figure out what skills she's lacking. Let's figure out what unsolved problems are reliably and predictably setting in motion her challenging episodes, and then let's start solving them. One more, we have time for one more. According to the blog talk radio timekeeper, it's, we've got five minutes and 22 seconds left. Now it's five minutes and 19 seconds left. My son has begun second grade at a new school and is new to public school. We have found the best approach to him is the CPS model. He has severe anxiety, separation anxiety, and oppositional defiant behaviors. He's fairly healthy, but has trouble at school with general school anxiety, anxiety over tasks in the classroom, and refusal to go to school. He had a severe anxiety fight or flight after lunch over concerns about a spelling test. He had two fights with the guidance counselor who plan-A'd him when he was extremely anxious about entering the classroom in the morning. The school now is considering him emotionally disabled due to anxiety, but very much with a typical plan-A attitude. There has been much mention from them of manipulation, poor motivation, lack of respect, lack of remorse. He's extremely bright. I believe he is considered twice exceptional. We are working with the school now for some testing. What... Private testing? Would you recommend us to provide the school to help us find a proper placement for him? Would neuropsychological testing be what we are looking for? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, a neuropsychologist I know likes to say, and that uh, everybody would benefit from neuropsych testing. Um, I'm not. I'm seeing the need for neuropsych testing dripping from what you're describing. I'm seeing the need to identify lagging skills and unsolved problems dripping from your message. I wonder if that might be the place to start you and uh what would be a good placement for him? Um uh, that's a solution. I want to know what his lagging skills and unsolved problems are first. I'd like to know if once we identify those, these school folks understand your son better and perhaps, uh, this would be a little bit of a leap, but perhaps understand why Plan A wouldn't be the best way to go about teaching those skills and solving those problems and how there might be other ways to go about teaching those skills and solving those problems, like Plan B, collaboratively. I never like to see the terms manipulative, poor motivation, lack of respect. I just don't see that once I understand what skills a kid is lacking and what unsolved problems are setting in motion these challenging episodes you've given me given me some hints a spelling test yeah uh separation anxiety re, uh school refusal so something about going in the building um to tell you the truth i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't go into environments where they were calling me manipulative unmotivated and disrespectful i wouldn't go in there so at least in that one respect i can't say that i blame your son for not wanting to go to school i would love to know if he was refusing to go to school even before then. I suspect he was, but being called manipulative, unmotivated, and disrespectful certainly wouldn't make me any more enthusiastic about walking in there. You mentioned tasks in the class. want to get much more specific about those. So I, I can't say that I know, uh, I, I would have great difficulty talking about placements for your son not positive that neuropsychological testing is what's needed, although it never hurts. But given what you've described in your message, I would probably start with lagging skills and unsolved problems and then see if we need greater clarification on what's getting in your son's way. And maybe the folks at school would be willing to take a look at the Lives in the Balance website, watch some of the videos, read some of the content. Good luck. Feel free to call in if you wish. That's going to do it for us today. Um, What a wonderful day we had last Thursday in Camden, Maine. The parent workshop that was part of the first annual Lives in the Balance conference on collaborative problem solving. Thanks to everybody who came to that and thanks to you all for listening today back next week